You always got to work the pastor a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, as we prepare for the message this, this morning, I'd ask that you turn your gray hymnals number 452. The one who is invisible does lead us. Even When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cross over from the realm of darkness into the realm of light. Your spiritual eyes are opened and you become aware of the great spiritual war in which the angels of God are fighting against the demons of the devil over this world and all the life that is in this world. The Apostle Paul highlights the conflict in Romans 8. If you want to turn first there, if you have your finger in Acts 27... In Romans 8, verses 18 through 21, the Apostle Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings, because of the spiritual battle, because of the conflict, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, the glory that God has waiting for us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. When God made this world, it was perfect, it was holy, it was good. When sin entered into this world, death entered through sin and and pushed this world into a position of what the NIV says, frustration. That Greek word is actually matiates, which means to be worthless or useless. Similar to the world under the sun described in Ecclesiastes with seemingly endless cycles of nothing but life and death. Life being just momentary in the scope of eternity and then you die. And it's, it's a chasing after the wind. It's an exercise in futility. What is the purpose behind it in this situation but to simply live and die? Well, the creation was subjected to this futility, not by its own choice, uh, Paul continues in verse 20, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So if you imagine a world that has been taken hostage, hostage, a world that has been enslaved by sin and death, you know that you don't have to imagine it at all because you're living in it. You're living in it. What then can set this world free but God's truth and power? What can set this world free but God's truth and power? I want you to think about the issue of slavery because it seems to be a hot topic Uh, every so often, and it just seems to be recycled over and over again. Here's something to understand. Slavery has existed in every culture on, on every inhabited continent throughout history. Let me repeat that so we hear it clearly. Slavery has existed in every culture on every inhabited continent throughout history. Slavery was the way the world did business and in part still does today. Look at any governing system that sees itself as the ultimate authority, and you will see people groups who are enslaved within that system. Hence, slavery was considered a fact of life until the 17th century when Christians attacked it as immoral. 
That's right. Slavery was a fact of life until Christians attacked the institution practiced by the world as immoral. That assault began in the 1700s. The abolition of slavery didn't didn't take place until the Civil War brought an initial end of slavery in 1865. And that time was a terrible time in the history of our country, a terrible time of suffering. It wasn't simply fighting against an occupying power like England or some other nation. It was American against American. Julia Ward Howe wrote a song towards the beginning of this great and terrible conflict directing people to put their faith in God's triumphant power as she watched soldiers going into battle knowing that they would be fighting against brothers, against cousins, against maybe fathers, against their own people. You know the verse, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He had loosed his fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. It's not just with guns and bullets that she's talking about the victory, that the victory is going to be won. It's God's truth that must march forward. That is what's going to gain the real victory in this battle. It's through God's word that truth marches on, not the relativistic philosophies of men that ebb and flow with time. And here's another verse to ponder. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free while God is marching on. Now, you obviously know this as the battle hymn of the Republic. The focus in this verse that I just read is on the soldier giving their life to make the lives of others free. Slaves and all free. That they might know the liberty and blessing and life of this country. The rights that are, that are attributed to them by God. Life of... Uh, uh, Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But as the battle hymn of the Republic points out, there is only one who in his death, resurrection, and ascension to God, there is only one who makes men and women holy. Human slavery may have ended, but spiritual slavery continues on. It hasn't gone away. As human beings are still slaves to sin regardless of the color of your skin or your nationality. Freedom from sin comes only through faith in Christ Jesus. Freedom comes through the cross of Christ as Jesus died for us to make us holy. As Christians, we recognize that we are to also put to death the desires of our sinful nature. That's what it means to deny yourself. The world entices. Satan always is coming to you with temptation, with enticements, trying to lead you down a certain path, trying to make you focus on being the captain of your own ship, going where you think you ought to go based upon the the judgments of your sinful desires. And Jesus says you have to put those desires to death. You need to deny them. And then he says you need to take up your cross. Be willing to suffer and follow me. 
That is the good soldier that is displayed here in Acts chapter 27. The one who denies himself, takes up his cross, is willing to suffer for Christ, even die for Christ, and follow him wherever he leads. Well, let's look at the scene here in Acts 27, verses 1 through 12. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Guard. We boarded a ship from Adramithium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. Uh, The other person would be Luke, who's writing the account. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficult uh, times arriving off of Snidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lassia. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the feast. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, listening, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask for your spirit to teach and instruct us regarding the truth of your word. Bless not only the reading, but the proclamation of it in Jesus' name. Amen. At first glance, when you look at this story and you think about a soldier, you look at this this Julius who is a member of the Imperial Guard, which means that he was uh, put in his position as, as a unique position, as a unique soldier who was responsible for protecting Caesar, in this case Caesar Nero. So these were highly trained officers And you're looking at him and thinking, okay, well, he seems to be a good soldier, obviously, in the eyes of Rome. And Luke takes a liking to him. In verse 3, it says, Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. You know, it's it's likely that Julius was informed of Paul's situation, that that both King Agrippa and and, uh, Festus both stated that Paul is innocent, But he appealed to Caesar, therefore he has to stand trial. 
at Caesar, at Caesar's court. But he's likely going to be uh, let off free because we don't see anything worthy of, of death or worthy of punishment in him. And so he didn't see Paul as a security threat of any kind, and he treated him with kindness. Now, he didn't have to do that. Even if Paul was maybe going to stand before Caesar and be pronounced innocent, uh, this Roman officer did not have to treat Paul with kindness. But he did, and it makes you wonder about the conversations they had as they were, as they were meeting with each other, as they got on the boat, and so forth. And, and just the warmth and love of the Apostle Paul that, that this Roman soldier might have experienced. But you can see that he takes a liking to Paul and allows him to have his, his cares taken care of, his needs taken care of, and to have fellowship with his friends. Uh, soldiers, no doubt, accompanied the Apostle Paul, but they didn't see him as a threat, and so they gave him some fairly good leniency as he received support and supplies from his friends. Now, that's on the southern side of, of Asia Minor. It would be modern-day Turkey. It would be kind of south-central where they're at when this takes place. So Julius is, is a good soldier, obviously, in the eyes of Rome. Why else would he be a member of the Imperial Guard, that elite group to guard uh, Caesar? Yet there are two groups of soldiers on this boat, and I don't want you to miss that. There's obviously Julius and his soldiers, but there are soldiers of Christ there as well. And you might think, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? There's Paul and, and Luke and Aristarchus. They're not soldiers. You know, Paul's an apostle. Luke's a physician. And Aristarchus, you know, he's, he's a follower of Christ as well. But what is an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent on a mission, Right? When you're sent on a mission by someone, what are you doing? <laughs> you're serving basically as a soldier. And Paul is serving his king, who is Jesus Christ. Luke is serving his king and savior, who is Jesus Christ. Aristarchus is serving his king, who is his Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. Why else would they travel with Paul? Why would they want to continue to bring the message of the gospel to those around them? They're going on a mission, they're going out, and they're doing battle against Satan and his demons, against the dark forces in spiritual places that are trying to stand against them. And when you look at this boat ride, every time, and I, I know what this is like, you know, when you're in a hurry, and you have to get there, and you meet every red light that is known to man, right? And then, not only do you meet every red light that is known to man, everybody is out on a Sunday drive. So they're all driving 10 to 15 miles under the speed limit. And you're like, this cannot be. This just cannot be. You're shaking your head going, this, uh, do these people not know that I have an appointment to keep? You know, why is this happening to me? But there's Im, Im, uh, an impeding process that's before you time after time after time. And what happens when, that, when you're impeded in your progress? Well, you get frustrated, don't you? You start laying on the horn, something you might not have done for a while. It's not Sunday, it's Monday, and I've got a place to go. Get out of the way. You know, and, and you lay on the horn because you want them to move and you want to make some progress. Well, they're not making any progress at all. None at all. Uh, this is a trip that should have been done within a few weeks. And day after day, they're impeded by the wind. 
And it comes to a point, you know, when, when they're traveling from the east to the west, they, they leave uh, northern Israel and then they're, you know, where they pick up supplies and Paul meets with his friends. That's the south central part of Asia Minor. So they're up there and they're trying to move westward and the weather's getting harder. So they move down to Cyprus. And when it talks about the lee of the island, it talks about the protected side of the island. Whichever way the wind is blowing, the lee is the other side where it's protected because they didn't want to get blown off course. You know, when you're in a sailboat, you're you're at the mercy of their wind and and there are tricks that you can do when the wind is kind of against you to make slow progress, but the wind really needs to be at your back in some way in order to make decent progress. And if the wind is straight against you, you're not going to make any progress at all. And so they're down in the lee of the island trying to protect themselves from the wind so that they can make some progress uh, as they're going along, and they're not making hardly any progress at all. Well, uh, when we think about the sea in, in ancient literature, uh, the sea was always considered a dangerous and tumultuous place. Uh, unlike us who watch the winds blow upon it, and we know that when the winds change, you can have a, you can have a pleasant day. I can remember being in a fishing boat on the coast of California, and you go out in the morning, and it's just very calm, you know, three to four foot waves. And then the captain cuts it short uh, and as you enter into the afternoon because the winds have changed direction. And they're much stronger now. And instead of three to four foot waves, you're talking nine to ten foot waves. And the old boat's going like this. Needless to say, I was probably greener than my shirt uh, in the process. But, you know, the winds changed. And as soon as they changed, it, it went from peaceful or, or being enjoyable to being dangerous. And, and they, the, the ancients saw the sea as being driven by divine, uh, divine beings. You know, and so uh, the sea could be calm at one point, but if one of these divine beings gets mad at you, the tumultuous tempest comes in and starts blowing you all over the place. And then you're totally at the mercy of the winds upon the seas. And trust me, no matter if you're on a ship that's 500 feet long or, or 100 feet long, that's not a place you want to be. And they know that. And so, you know, they're trying to make progress. Paul warns them. He tells them, you know, he's probably the most experienced traveler on the boat. And he tells them, if we continue to go this route, it's going to be treacherous for us. We're, we're likely going to lose the, the cargo and the boat itself and maybe even our lives. Uh, wouldn't it be better to just winter in, in, in uh, this, this haven place? And... And that was at the south central part of Crete, but it was open to the sea. So I'm sure the captain of the boat, the owner of the boat especially, thought that his boat would get beat up too much by the waves uh, along, that, along that dock. So he didn't really want that. So he thought, you know, if we can just go f- a little bit further to the west of Crete, and that's where they're making progress to, and this has taken forever. But if we can go a little bit further, that... Uh, that harbor is open to both sides and, and we can be more protected there and we can winter there. Well, Paul says, I've warned you. <laughs> and the centurion talks with the captain and, and with, the, with the owner of the boat and, and there seems to be a meeting and he decides to move forward, decides to press on. Now, I believe the centurion Julius was trying to do a good job. He was a senior officer on board and he needed to make a decision. And I think this is probably the best decision that he thought he could come up with. 
But the question comes to bear for all of us is who is really in control here? Is it man or God? Is it the centurion and his army or Paul and the army of Christ? Who is in control? Who has ultimate authority here? I think that's a question we're wrestling with today in our nation. Who has ultimate authority? Is it ultimate authority from God or from man? James 4, verses 13 through 17 says these words. James says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You think you have authority. You think you have power. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes compared to God. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. We boast as if we are in control of our future, as if we are in control of our circumstances, but who's really in control? In Paul's second letter to Timothy, likely written after this voyage, when he was in Rome, uh, Paul writes these words, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer. Bear with us like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to be a good soldier in Christ? Paul says in verse 2, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus we have unmerited favor from God. That means God wants to bless us with every blessing that is from heaven above. He wants to give us the wisdom that we need to address the hearts and minds of people who are are shrouded in darkness. He wants to give us the power to overcome sin in our lives and, and to press forward in confidence coming against the devil and his demonic horde, setting the captives free. He wants to bless us with every heavenly blessing. John Wesley helps us out here. He uh, regarding what this means in his hymn of soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on the provisions of God through the Holy Spirit uh, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal son strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power who in his strength of Jesus trust is more than conqueror Now I hear that and I think to myself, one of the reasons we don't take this as seriously as we ought to is because we have been taught in this nation to be comfortable and to seek comfort. Rather than being on a battleship, we would rather see ourselves on a cruise ship 
as people are tending to us instead of us ministering to others. That is one of the great battles that we have as believers in our nation is that we have it so good in some ways. We are so blessed that we think that we deserve it and we are owed it when it is really the work of God's grace. It's the blessing of His mercy. That He doesn't give us what our sins deserve, but He pours out upon us grace after grace after grace through Jesus Christ. So secondly, being a good soldier of Christ means that we are able to endure hardship. Not simply seek comfort, but we are able to endure hardship as we teach as we lead others to Christ Jesus and live for our Lord. And Wesley says in the second verse, Stand then in His great might, with all His strength endued, but take to arm you for the fight the panoply of God, all that God has to offer. Seek it in prayer. Seek it through His Word and use it for His kingdom purposes to further His kingdom work in this dark world. Leave no unguarded place, no weakness of the soul. Take every virtue, every grace, and fortify the whole. Thirdly, being a good soldier of Christ means our focus needs to be that of pleasing our commanding officer. Not pleasing ourselves, but pleasing our commanding officer, Jesus Christ, our King and Savior. So, to keep your armor bright, Wesley continues, attend with constant care, still walking in your captain's sight and watching unto prayer. From strength to strength, go on. His strength, through his strength, go on. Wrestle and fight and pray. We are called to do that as God's people, to wrestle against our own sin, to wrestle regarding the sins of this world, the the deceptive powers in this world. We are to wrestle and struggle against it, even fight against it, and pray, pray without ceasing. One of the things I find myself being diminished of when when I am laxed is prayer, my prayer life. Satan attacks me there, and it kind of lulls me to sleep especially when things are going well. And I forget about the reality that God is my strength and my fortress. He is my power. I need to come to Him constantly in prayer and seek His provision. Wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. (laughs) It's just one day. But it's looking forward to the day of the Lord that we fight to win the well-fought day. I think some people, maybe many of you are concerned that the winds of change are in our country and they're not flowing with Christians, they're, they're coming against us and our progress seems to be slowed and being impeded. What does the soldier of Christ do in that situation? What are we to do? is to place our faith in our captain and follow him. Seeking his provision, enduring hardship, and following Jesus. Fighting, wrestling, 
and continuing to pray so that no matter what the devil and his demons and his followers throw at us, we can win the well-fought day. Because as Paul says, the glory that will be revealed through his people is not even comparable to the sufferings that we may go through today. It's so vitally important to remember as soldiers of Christ that we are soldiers of the cross, that we are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and be willing to fight and wrestle and pray, to even suffer for our Lord, that we might always follow him into glory forever. And in the process of doing that, liberate those who are under the power of evil, that they might know the true blessing of freedom through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we heard God's word. Let us respond. Let this be our prayer and proclamation to our Lord and King.